All right, here we are, uh, gathered around the microphone for our very first Halloween special. Ooh. So we're publishing, uh, this is a, an extra episode for uh, our, all our friends and, and listeners who are all our friends. You are all friends. All we are friends. friends. Are our cult friends kind out of. there. We're giving you a little... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, we're giving you a little something special here. This is not uh, the usual episode schedule. We're going to you know, stray from the, the topic of black magic to put out a little something special for Halloween. So uh, today's episode, we are going to be talking about, um, and we're going we're gonna to actually, we're going to run off the format a little bit here. So we're going to do a little bit of background and history and discussion uh, on mesmerism in the 19th century in order to get us to uh, a full uh, enactment or reenactment, Re- reenactment um, of Edgar Allan Poe's uh, sort of amalgamation of two of Edgar Allan Poe's stories about mesmerism, the mesmerist and the mysterious case of M. Valdemar. Uh, so this isn't going to be like a we're not going to just read the stories to you. We're, uh, we're going to we'll do this, the thing that we do, right, where we act out the parts of of the different characters in the stories. Um, but before we get to that, um, uh, we 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 want to meet first our discussants gathered around the mic here. Uh, so James, James just captain of the table. Hi, I'm James, captain of the table. I, that yep. wasn't very charismatic. I already, <laughs> it's hey guys, redundant. I already introduced that information. Yeah. Say something new for the people. Captain, I'm. I can't think of anything. Well, <laughs> Shannon Landers, uh, who's uh, captain of the Instagram, but she is. She's going to receive her official mm. title very soon. I feel it coming, yeah. but not today. Not today. I'm Greek. We're That's discussing it. cat names today. It's Shannon's turn now. It's oh, not sorry. my time Shannon's to shine, to... Rob. It's not my time to okay. shine. We're You're discussing cat names. Well, we'll get there. Cat names we'll strict. That's that's why I'm First, here. First, let's meet Savannah Verrett, also sitting with us at the Hi. table. Hello. As is customary, uh, you may remember her from uh, our most recent episode on the Evil Eye, where <laughs> yes. she expressed her passion for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yes, our token Reagan fan. <laughs> yes, yes. She'll live oh. that down eventually, but mm. not today. <laughs> What can I say? He I mean he's just a. What did I even say about him? <laughs> I don't, you were good old Reagan. Good old Reagan. That's what it was. Man. Good old Reagan. Reagan. My he's man. Just a good old guy. My main man. <laughs> okay, Shannon. So uh, we want to get to this business. People are excited. People are interested. They would like to hear uh, what we've decided to name this cat that Olivia found. This unusual looking cat that she uh, uh, found at some sort of yard sale. Uh, no, uh, Michael's, actually. Sto- Michael's? Michael's? She got it from Michael's. They will it, stop She had anything. a coupon. She got, she got it. It was the last one. What if it was the only one? It was the only one or the last one. I mean, maybe it wasn't always the only one. See, oh, I, yeah. I imagine that it, it was like, you know, like in the bottom of some sort of dark bin Alleyway, somewhere, like in a like, Stephen King novel. If those of you who haven't seen it, go on Instagram or Facebook on our page and you'll be able to see a picture of it. It's like an elf on a shelf, but like an ugly little gremlin cat. Get gremlin cat on a shelf. It's actually horrifying, but it's like horrifying in a cute way. Like I could look at it, but I don't like to look at it for long. (laughs) (laughs) He has dangly little legs. I think it's the cutest little uh, legs. All right, let's 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 kill the suspense now. Let's get right down to it. Uh, Shannon, you've you've looked over all of the names. I have. uh, As Mm -hmm. as have we all looked over Mm -hmm. all of the names, right? And and we've consented to allow uh, these names to go forward into a a poll for for folks to vote. Yes. Okay. So here uh, they are in no particular order. Nope. But the, uh, the top four. Top four. Top four. All right. So the first one. Letter A. Let, yeah. Don't. Let's not number. Letter let's not A. Number because then we'll think that they're in order. Oh, you're right. Letter, oh, we can do colors. Letter a. Roman uh, numeral. Blue. 
Yeah, the blue one. The blue one. <laughs> All right. So Ragnar de Crimson said cat, but with a K. But we decided we kind of liked his username a little more. Yeah, way better. Yeah. So Ragnar the Crimson? Yes, Ragnar the Crimson as an option. I hope <laughs> Is you don't mind, Ragnar. Is the cat at all red? Is there any red or... Oh, so the red one... No, but the Crimson. No, the cat is oh. black well, see, and white. His no body is made out of newspaper, so we could paint it red if we wanted but to. But a newspaper yes. is black and white. But red all over. Red ah. all over! Ah. All right, Ag Ragnar the Crimson <laughs> is our first <laughs> option. <laughs> We managed to get a third grade joke into the podcast well, today. Well done. Happy Halloween. So well done, friends. <laughs> Go on. Oh, oh so Godhammer6. Oh, I think his name, uh, Ian, one of our patrons. He said. Ian, uh, ah, Ian uh, is uh, f famous uh, around these parts for having <laughs> challenged us to get the pledge without screwing it up. And we've mm -hmm. done it every time since, yeah, I'm pretty sure. He yeah. is. He's, he's earning, we're earning those Patreon dollars Ian, Ian's contributed to us. Well, he suggested we name him. Tacalb. Tacalb. See, we picked this one because we don't know what it means. Yes, we Ian. want to figure it out. Please. Yeah, we want to tempt Ian to explain what Tacalb is. You could uh, message us on our Instagram, a Cult Confessions, which you you found because you commented you on the post. Yes. Yeah. Much like the, the cat, <laughs> we're thinking, why does this exist? Right. Mm. Yes. We have yes. two mysteries now. Yes. Ooh, our friend Lucy is also part of our little gang. She said. Monty. Monty. Like Monty. 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 And Lucy's just started to join the podcast. Yes. And my personal favorite, I think we should all consider voting for it. Um, it's Fergus, but we could call him Fergie no. as a nickname. Shannon, we talked about this. <laughs> this is the one this you is, This is her idea. Yeah. No. no. We can't. What? Yeah, no. but it's your name. That's your name that I you just, put in there. I think Fergus is... It's cheating. The, um, All right, I, we need one more. We need to. We need one more in the mix. We're well, not. Okay, so Fergus is not on the list. So we're going to have a write-in, write-in listeners for Fergus. Well, I'll we're do not... the write-in. If you really think you can win a write-in campaign, I'll, we'll make that optional. <laughs> Please, <sighs> I will do something. All right, the last, the last. Okay, we got to yes, get Allan Poe here. Uh, and Sam is. Sam. It comes from Sam. So Sam. well, now what's the username? Sam is. Sam. Sis Sam is Sisyphus. Sisyphus. Sam is Sisyphus. I love that. He suggested. Louis Van Elric. Louis Van Elric. Louis Van Elric. Sounds yes, like yes. a vampire. So to cool. say again, our top four is um, Ragnar de Cribson. Yes. Tackalb. Uh, Monty. Monty. Fergus. No. And uh, Louis you Van Elric. Yeah, you got our eyes on you. Mm. Swipe or no swiping. Don't mm. throw away your vote. No. Uh, yes. <laughs> Don't throw it away Don't on the other boat. 1984. <laughs> Oh, God. No, no. <laughs> it might win. I don't. <laughs> okay. Reagan well, Bush, fine. 84. <laughs> here we go. Can right. we name it Reagan? Is that <laughs> <laughs> You can write in Reagan. We'll allow that. But right, so it's going to be a, a. Fergus for Fergie. We're going to go ahead and, uh, and get started on Poe now here. We're, Let's start our discussion about names. mesmerism and Poe. Tight. Uh, let's get to a cult confessing some things. Should we do the pledge? I feel like we should. Oh, it's yes. a Halloween, a special Halloween pledge. Oh, yeah. How, so how we, do we, do it? we should do that at the end. Oh no. We'll do okay. the regular pledge, and we'll all do that when it's over. Uh, okay, I'm ready. We, <laughs> the members of the secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. Ooh. 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 
up. You're turning <laughs> in my ASMR, guys. That's not this kind of podcast. All right, so let's not do a little yet. bit of history, and then we'll get to a, an, our reenactment for today. So we're going to begin with Franz Anton Mesmer. So, so again, we're, we're talking about mesmerism and Poe and Edgar Allan Poe's um, stories about mesmerism. So mesmerism itself as a concept begins with this guy. We've mentioned him in episodes before. He comes from the French Enlightenment. He lived from 1734 to 1815. Uh, Franz Anton magnetized himself and then used his magnetic influence to manipulate the fluids in his patients in order to bring about healing in them. Uh, but this also put them into a kind of trance. So he... Okay, so he didn't really manipulate their fluids. But my man Franz Anton believed <laughs> that he was manipulating their fluids. What is magnetize? How do you magnetize yourself? Is that a real thing or is that something made up too for him? No, he, he, he would really, he would like go through a whole procedure where he would magnetize his own hands and body. And then he could use himself as a magnet to influence their fluids. So was he a trained doctor? No. Okay. <laughs> No, I mean, there really weren't any. They, they, they called themselves trained doctors in 1750, but let's be honest. So They what, were just fashioning teeth out of wood and sticking leeches on your nipples. They were mad scientists. So yes. does this kind of work like how the evil eye, if like, the patients believed it was healing them, did it actually heal them? Like, did... Ah, funny you should mention that. So, uh, it is funny. They... <laughs> Thank you. Ha, ha, ha. Tee-hee. Benjamin Franklin himself uh, chaired the committee that rejected Mesmer's theory. So Franklin, uh, our found, one of our founding fathers, famously spent a lot of time in France. Uh, and he was known for being a scientist because of all the kites he flew. So <laughs> the king of France was like, hey, Ben, can you help me figure out if this mesmerism stuff is for reals? And he was like, I can, and it's not. He said there is no such thing as a magnetic fluid or the manipulation of fluid. It cannot happen. Um, and, Shannon, he argued that Mesmer's cures were largely affected through the patient's imaginations. Mm. So because you believed, you were cured. Uh, sort of placebo effect. But I think it went deeper than that. Uh, because it was literally putting you into a trance state. It was operating on your consciousness in a way that goes beyond just taking a sugar pill. And the, the guy who followed up on this idea is the Marquis de Pisagur. He embraced... Ooh. I like... Can we name the cat? No, we're, clo we're closed we're on that. We're done the we're cat done. names. Okay. You wrote those down, right, by the way? Uh, it's in my brain. The Marquis de Pisagur <laughs> embraced mesmerism as a tool to work through the imaginations of patients. So he said, we don't need a fluid. We can just... I understand that this is working all in people's heads, but that's okay. Um, and what he discovered was that patients, when you mesmerize them, now this gets really weird, could see beyond the limits of their physical bodies into alternate times and dimensions of being. What? They could actually look inside their own bodies and um, uh, diagnose themselves, but they could see inside, like, James's body and diagnose him, too. Sounds Wait, like so this is in the context of real life and not a crowd yes. post story? No, no, this now? is okay. for real. This really happened with, for, to the Marquis de Pisagur. Um, and the argument for the reason Americans really got excited about it was because mesmerism democratized medicine because you could diagnose and essentially treat yourself mm -hmm. through entering a mesmeric trance, right? So you were the one doing your own healing. It wasn't a doctor healing you. So this guy, Charles Poyen, um, who was a medical student in France, uh, went to a somnambulist who accurately diagnosed his condition but did not cure him. Now, somnambulist is somebody who's in a trance state. So my guy Charles now, he's going to pick up the baton. So we went from Franz Anton 
to uh, what was his Mes- name? Mes- Marquis de Pisegur. Yeah. And now Charles Poyen is going to bring mesmerism to America. So he goes to see a person in trance, and that person in trance diagnoses his medical condition, and he's a convert. He's like, wow, how did you know that that's what was wrong with me? He quits medical school because he's in poor health, and he travels to the West Indies, where his family has a series of plantations, like you do in France in the 18th century, own a series of plantations that will ultimately be overthrown and conquered by the Haitians when they revolt. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's kind of sad that he had to quit medical school because he was in bad health. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind, kind of, of ironic, <laughs> actually. I think that's irony. Alanis so Morissette would be okay with it, I think. Oh, there it is. Mm. But that's because nothing in that song is ironic, right? Isn't that the irony of the song? Well, I don't know if she necessarily intended that, right? I, I'm going to give her the she's benefit of the doubt. Lady. Yeah. Yeah, she's a smart lady. Yeah, she's a smart lady. Alanis Morissette fans here at the Occult Confessions <laughs> podcast. Just want to put that out there. Reagan fans, Alanis Morissette fans, right? <laughs> we'll take Am you I all. Right? We love the 80s. We, we love, love the 90s. Birds of a uh, watching demonstrations of mesmerism um, in the West Indies. So now it's traveled to Haiti and, and sundry other areas. He determines that slavery is immoral and travels to New England following uh, family tradition. So he's like hanging out in the West Indies. He's watching mesmerism. It's not that mesmerism persuades him that slavery is immoral. He's just like seeing it. And he's like, this is a terrible plan. I hate this. I'm leaving the West Indies. I'm going to America. Because he learns that mesmerism isn't being practiced in America. So he's the one to bring it there. Good idea. He tours New England from 1836 to 1837 and is initially unsuccessful. Until So he can't get anyone to drop into the trance. He can't do any of that amazing stuff where he's diagnosing diseases until he, he takes a visit to this, his patient, Cynthia Gleason, in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Second time Rhode Island's come up today. We were just talking about uh, the old Lovecraft, oh, right? Oh, yeah, traveling the yeah. home, home of Lovecraft. Uh, but he's not there yet because he's not won't be born until the 20th century. <laughs> but Cynthia Gleason is there, and she proves an apt subject for mesmerism. And she ends up touring with Charles Poyen. She's 37 at the time, um, and she begins to go through these demonstrations. Um, she's a member of a, a factory, a family of factory workers. Uh, Poyen himself is only 20 years old as he's going around doing these tours with her. He got himself an older lady. Got yes, he <laughs> likes the older, the cougars. Who was easily mesmerized. Easily mesmerized older lady. That was her talent. Yep. <laughs> For- <laughs> For demonstrations, Poyen would put Gleason under, uh, and there would be attempts to awaken her with sound, pinching, smelling salts, and no one could wake her up. Poyen then lectured for 90 minutes and then woke her up with a wave of his hand from a distance, demonstrating the power of his will over her will. Later demonstrations included questions asked by the audience through Poyen to Gleason, so he had to ask him to talk to her while she was in trance. Um, the idea was that when you're in trance, you can only hear the mesmerist's voice. So, she reveals information about the audience that she did not know in advance of the performance. Uh, She gives religious advice, moral advice, and eventually medical diagnoses. So, she's essentially a medium before mediums are a thing. Neat. She can tell tell you things about yourself that you didn't know, the same way a modern medium does. But they're talking to dead people. She's just using her mesmeric trance to perceive... To slip into the dark pool. Yeah, I was about to say, she's in the dark pool. She's in the dark pool of consciousness, yes. If you haven't listened to our third series, learn about the dark pool. It's waiting for you. Uh, (laughs) It's not as scary as it sounds. New England's intelligentsia were actually uh, pretty ready to embrace phrenology. 
which required extensive training, and they preferred that to mesmerism, which theoretically anybody can do. Phrenology is um, like that your brain, like when if you touch somebody's skull, you can know things about their brain. Have you ever seen those charts of the brain of the head, like with little cuts oh, of meat? Yeah, little tiny cuts oh. of meat. They referenced things. that in the movie Django Unchained, right? Have you seen that? Yeah. I don't, no, I don't like, remember. There's a whole scene at the end where he has like somebody's skull, and he's like, "I can tell that this person was good at this because oh, they have yeah, this yeah, and yeah. stuff." That's the idea. That's phrenology. So you needed to really train and learn phrenology. So people were like, "Well, that's for real." But mesmerism is just like a 37 year old woman who happened to be able to go into trance. So like, no, that's made up. Even though she's able to say amazing things. Uh, similar to contemporary hypnotism, it provided pain relief, relief from hysterical disorders, the recovery of lost uh, memory, uh, but mesmerism differed in its claim to achieve parapsychological results, like reading the contents of sealed envelopes and astral projection and the ability to see into the body. Uh, doctors may have turned against hypnosis after the 1890s because of working class women's encroachment as somnambulists into their trade. So basically what was happening is that all these ladies in trance were like taking doctors jobs by diagnosing mental illnesses. So they were like, no, this is fake. We got to get away from this. We can't keep doing this. The this medical no community. Money. Yeah. Um, so wow. that's... Uh, <laughs> That's basically our, our mesmeric stuff. So, you know, Finian, Phineas Parker, Parkhurst Quimby, who was one of the founders of the New Thought Movement, and Mary Baker Eddy, who was Christian Science, all of these folks believed that there was an intimate connection between mind and body. And this goes really back to mesmerism. We're also looking at uh, changes in the perception of the unconscious, which mesmerists introduce as even a thing that exists, but it's this paranormal superpower place in your head, which Freud and friends will eventually legislate out into just like the trash heap for your repressed desires to have sex with other people that you can't have sex with and murder them. So can anybody mesmerize someone? Well, or do you, you have to have like something special about you? I think you probably got to practice it a little bit to be able to do it well, properly. Yes, you can't just but... walk right into it. You got to get magnetized first. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here's the interesting thing about Poe and mesmerism. So he writes these two stories about mesmerism, uh, the mesmerist and the case of M. Valdemar. And it, it's sort of a weird and wild time in literature because Poe, uh, first of all, he uses them as a vehicle to express his own religious views, which sort of seep in. And you're going to hear that as we uh, listen to our, our alchemical actors go through this story. But uh, in addition to that, his audience believes that he's not writing a fictional story, but is actually recounting a thing that happened. Oh, yeah, somebody mentioned that to me, and that's creepy. <laughs> That's yeah, kind of cool. people wrote letters to him, and Poe just sort of let it be. He didn't correct anybody. He just let the the myth sort of proliferate. Because he's an asshole, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, because Aww, he believed that mesmerism was real, and because he was using the story to convey uh, truths about the universe and about the soul that he believed to be true. I think that, in my opinion, that's why Poe let the sort of myth linger. Uh, but we were in a culture and a time period where a story about mesmerism and people, you know, sort of perceiving the truths about God and the soul were just accepted as true rather than, I mean, the presumption was that it was true rather than that it was false um, or that it was made up, which, you know, that's certainly that time period has passed. We're not in that kind of mindset anymore. But Poe just sort of, yeah, he let it be. Believe I like that. What you will. Yeah. yeah. But yes, he could also be called a liar. 
Yeah, I mean, he's still a nice well, guy. He he's a great writer. <laughs> you know? He's okay. He's maybe, still had a drink with know, him. Maybe he was yeah. just too anxious to write back. He didn't like people. You know? <laughs> he wanted to be alone. <laughs> he got too many letters. It was all too much. I just don't want to disappoint them. <laughs> all right, let's let's uh, let's listen in now um, on the, our, our story, our, our alchemical actor's interpretation of Poe's two mesmeric short stories. Ooh. Take this kiss upon the brow, and in parting from you now, thus let me much avow. You are not wrong who deem that my days have been a dream, yet if hope has flown away in a night or in a day, in a vision or in none, is it therefore less the gone? All that we see or see is but a dream within a dream. Mesmerized. For the past three years, my attention has been continually drawn to the subject of mesmerism. And about nine months ago, it occurred to me quite suddenly in a series of experiments made hitherto, there had been a very remarkable and most unaccountable omission. No person had as yet been mesmerized in articulo mortis, at the point of death, but it remained to be seen whether in such a condition there remained any influence to the magnetic control, to what extent the encroachment of death might be arrested by the process. Are you asleep? Yes. How do you think your present illness will result? I must die. Does the idea of death afflict you? No. No. Are you pleased with the prospect? If I were awake, I'd like to die, but now it is no matter. The mesmeric condition is so near death as to content me. I wish you would explain yourself. You do not question me properly. What then shall I ask? You must begin at the beginning. The beginning? But where is the beginning? You know that the beginning is God. The beginning of- Is God not spirit? While I was awake, I knew what you meant by spirit, but now it only seems a word. Such, for instance, as truth, beauty, equality, I mean. Is God not immaterial? There is no immateriality. Is God then material? No. What then is he? The universal mind is God. To create individual thinking beings, it was necessary to incarnate portions of the divine mind. Thus, man is individualized. You say that divested of the body, man will be God. Creatures are thoughts of God. There are two bodies corresponding with the two conditions of the caterpillar and the butterfly. What we call death is but the painful metamorphosis. But of the caterpillar's metamorphosis, we are palpably cognizant. We certainly, but not the caterpillar. I should like to wake you now. Do not wake me. Let me die so. Do you feel any pain? No pain. I am dying. He should be suffered to remain in his present, apparently tranquil condition until death should supervene. He can only be a few minutes from the end now. Wait, did you see that? A what? A change in the patient. The pupils disappearing. The blood. The cheeks. The very life force seems to have gone out. It puts me in the mind so much as nothing as the extinguishment of a candle by a puff of breath. Are you asleep? He is surely dead. 
Someone call the nurses and someone else go for the undertaker. Wait, did you hear that? What? Some sort of vibratory motion in the tongue. Are you asleep? Yes! No, I have been sleeping and now, now I, I am dead. I stand amid the roar of a surf-tormented shore and hold within my hand grains of the golden sand. How few, yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep while I weep, while I weep. Oh God, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp? Oh God, can I not save one from the pitiless wave? Is all that we see or seem just a dream within a dream? How is our patient? He is unchanged. It never ceases to amaze me. But don't you think it's time to put our little experiment to an end? An interval of seven months has elapsed. To keep him like this any longer would be cruel and unnatural. This is so. Very well. We shall resolve to awaken our patient. If I could have the focus and concentration of all present, I must lift the magnetic control from the somnambulist. After such a duration and under such circumstances as these, I trust there will be no pedestrian feet. Your psychic assistance in this endeavor is, as always, very much appreciated. The iris, it lowers. Can you explain to us what are your feelings or wishes now? For God's sake, quick. Put me to sleep or waken me, but do it quick. I say to you that I am dead. We must put him to sleep. No. Not again. Right. Very right. I nearly lost my nerve. We continue on our course. <gasps> he wakens! No! Dead! Dead. Oh, no! What horror is this? He has shrunk, crumbled, rotted away beneath our hands. The body's become a mass of loathsome liquid of detestable putrescence. Ah. Yeah. It's a wonderful play that you did for us. Terrific. And we had a, I believe we had a bit of Edgar Allan poetry mixed in there. That was clever, Rob. Yeah, thank you. I was working on that all morning on the on the ride in. <laughs> well, it paid off. I was like, he writes these episodes like <laughs> he the, thought of it. <laughs> and the newspaper joke, right? I was also working on that. I wasn't. No, that was organic. That was, that was organic. That's why it felt so good. It did. Yeah. You come here for genuine comedy <laughs> on this podcast. None of this made-up nonsense. <laughs> you get on the other podcasts. Uh, yeah. So there. What was that? Was the pose uh, dream in a dream? I yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so uh, he so he dissolved. Rotted. Is he aged all at once? Yeah, that's pretty. Well, he gross. Had, right. the, the the experiment was that the patient was about to die and then the mesmerist stepped in and suspended the death right mm-hmm. at the point right before the patient uh, died, but then he like just left him there for a year. So then when he came back and like woke him up, the whole organism just broke apart because the you know i guess in in this scenario pose imagining that the soul is somewhat responsible for holding your material body together mm. you have a kind of like a life force 
So by suspending that life force with the material body nearly dissolved, he kept the body in one piece. And then when you relieved the body of the life force, the, it, it completely just fell apart because that's all that was holding it together in the first place. To dust. Yeah, yeah, From yeah. ashes to ashes, to quote David Bowie. That was originally <laughs> David Bowie, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, jeez. Sorry. To, but, you're, you're apologizing to the writers of the Bible? No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those guys have it bad already. Yeah, they Do always it. get their stuff stolen and given credit to David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just hate it when my, when my I give my quality jokes and people just think it was David Bowie. It was Bowie. David Bowie, yeah. I was like, yeah. no, guys, or when it you was me. write the foundational documents for a thousands-year-old religion and then David Bowie takes all the credit for it. <laughs> He's not even from here. He's from what, Mars? He, right? He, right. Ca- he swoops down here, takes all the credit. Goes back to Mars. What a man. Rest in peace, David. Bowie. Yeah, rest in peace. Okay, uh, so that, that, that mesmerist one went pretty quick, actually. So I, I think we've actually got some time for uh, one more Poe story on this very Poe Halloween. So uh, I think that my vote here is that we go ahead and do MS in a bottle. Uh, our alchemical actors have actually been touring around uh, Baltimore putting on a variety of post stories, and, and that's where we got the idea for this uh, Halloween special. So we've actually got a, a bunch to choose from, but MS in a Bottle feels like the perfect pairing for our mesmerist play. Uh, and, and that might not be intuitive uh, uh, to some of our listeners, uh, although others of you might already be making these connections here. So. When Poe wrote about the ocean um, and many of his 19th century contemporaries, the journey out onto the ocean, the sailor uh, making his way out into the open sea, this was uh, almost always a metaphor for plumbing the depths of the unconscious or the unconscious as we were coming to understand it in the 19th century because, as we said, it's a relatively new idea. So for Melville, most famously, there was the pursuit of the white whale, which was a kind of externalization of the id, right? The animal nature of humanity that hides deep inside the individual and is sort of buried deep inside of our psyches. And the same can be said now for Poe, albeit in the realm of the fantastic. In stories like uh, his only novel, uh, Arthur Gordon Pym, uh, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, and also of the Maelstrom and MS in a Bottle, we see characters sailing on a ship that get caught up in some scenario that forces them to turn inward. And as they turn inward and burrow into the psyche, the fantastic world of the unconscious uh, emerges to consume them, sometimes leading to madness and sometimes to death and destruction. So um, just some signposts as we head into this particular story. You'll notice that the characters start out at first, or our main character anyway, on a ship full of other people. But as time passes, he finds himself eventually alone and then surrounded by the wraiths or ghosts of the deep unconscious. Let's go ahead and listen to MS in a Bottle. It was no long while ago that I ventured into the captain's own private cabin, and took thence the materials with which I write and have written. I shall from time to time continue this journal. At the last moment I will enclose the MS in a bottle and cast it within the sea. 
The gulls are gone. Do you fancy it be an ill omen? Aye. I know ye have no mind for fancies, but still, it is peculiar. Gulls are not native to these particular environs. We have strayed from their natural habitat. Any question can be answered through the application of a strictly empirical physical philosophy. Aye, but there are happenings in the wide world. Stories passed among the sailors that would turn your science pale with impotency. Mer-creatures with the breasts of a woman and the fins of a fish. Sea monsters that would swallow ships whole and phantom vessels under the command of wandering spirits. Hallucinations and wives' tales. Aye, maybe so. But one is taken to fits of fancy on a night such as this, under a moon glowing bloody red. It's like the eye of the devil himself. Do you see the clouds skirting the horizon like a long line of low beach? There's a hot wind off the port bow. Most unusual. It's stopped. Suppose it's a simoon. We may be suffocated in the cyclone or caught in a whirlpool. Do you hear that? Sort of... Uh, a buzzing down in the hall, almost like she shivers, almost like she fears what's to come. What's your science to say for us now? Stand firm. What for? A veritable wilderness of foam. How's that? We've been cast among the breakers. What's become of the Swede? Hello? 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 We're all that survived. The blast tossed the others over, perished as they slept in their cabins. The cables parted like packing thread, and the stern is shattered like glass, but the pipes are all right, and I have procured some jaggery from the hull. The hurricane is clearing. Aye, but the wind persists. Nothing to do now but wait for the swell to come and carry us after our shipmates. It was many and many a year ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabel Lee. And this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. Terrible wind and cold, but the wind is relentless. I've lost all sense of time. It's five days since the storm. Do you think we'll ever see the end of it? I was a child and she was a child in this kingdom by the sea. But we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabelle Lee, with a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. The sun's gone out. You mean it's gone down? No, blackened in a hurry, as, as if by some unaccountable power. And this was the reason that long ago, in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud chilling my beautiful Annabelle Lee, so that her high-born kingsman came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulcher in this kingdom by the sea. Pitchy black and terror all around. The day won't come. The sun has abandoned us. There's a curse on us. The dead souls of the crew, they spite us our having seen out the storm, and their damned spirits have visited this eternal blackness on us out of bitterness. I've lost the days. Without the sun, what means have we of calculating time? 
Another tempest approaches. It billows and swells. She's a good ship, made of that fine, sturdy Malabar teak. Ah, uh, the, the storage was clumsily done, but the cargo is light enough. Aye, this is the best vessel that we could hope for in a case such as ours. But what's that? Oh, see. See, almighty God, see! A ship. Bigger than any ship I've ever seen. She must be 400 tons at least, and look how bleak she is. Not a carving in those cannons. And look, the hurricane hardly touches her. See how she bears up. She's coming straight for us. She'll strike us, sure. She stands at the pinnacle, paused as if in contemplation of her own sublimity. Oh, bloody hell. She's coming straight for us. We'll be crushed. Abandoned ship! The vessel struck. I was hurled as if by fate upon the rigging of the stranger. Since then, I have been walking upon the deck in full view of the crew. But no one appears to notice me. A man has just passed, one of the crew, with a feeble and unsteady gait. He had about him the air of great age and general infirmity. He muttered to himself. His manner was a wild mixture of the peevishness of second childhood and the solemn dignity of a god. The angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me, yes. That was the reason, as all men know, in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out from a cloud by night, killing and chilling my Annabel Lee. The crew glide to and fro, like the ghosts of buried centuries. Their eyes have an eager and uneasy meaning. About a league on either side of us may be seen stupendous ramparts of ice, towering away into the desolate sky, and looking like the walls of the universe. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we. And neither the angels in the heaven above, nor the demons down under the sea, can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. It is evident that we are hurrying onward to some exciting knowledge, some never-to-be-imparted secret, whose attainment is destruction. Perhaps this current leads us to the southern pole itself. The crew pace the deck with unquiet and tremulous step, but there is upon their countenances an expression more of the eagerness of hope than of the apathy of despair. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. The ice opens suddenly to the right and to the left, and we are whirling dizzily. The circles rapidly grow small, and the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle. We are plunging madly within the grasp of the whirlpool, and amid a roaring and bellowing and thundering of ocean and of tempest, the ship is quivering, oh God, and going down. And so, all the night tide, I lay down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, in her sepulcher there by the sea in her tomb by the sounding sea. So we can hear uh, in Poe's story and, and uh, what, our, what our actors have done here, we had uh, Brianna Litterall reading uh, Annabelle Lee sort of interspersed with, uh, with the story itself, um, sort of drawing out the theme of death. So clearly the, 
the sailor feels himself approaching death, but he's been overrun by this external force, this weird ghost ship populated by these beings who don't seem to speak the way normal people speak or uh, communicate or, or appeal to the senses uh, in, in any kind of direct way. They're, they're occupying another sort of state of being, a kind of unconscious state of being. And it's significant that we're also moving toward the South Pole. At this point in history, uh, the 19th century, the feelings about the South Pole were that we actually had no idea what was down there. People hadn't made it that far. It hadn't been explored. So there were sort of a lot of wild theories about what actually was at the South Pole. Some people weren't even actually sure that there was ice there. So um, there's a journey into the unknown. The unknown is then a sort of metaphor for the unconscious and the unconscious for death. Uh, these three forces are sort of overlapping each other in Poe's tale as the sailor moves his way deeper and deeper into this wherever the ghost ship is going. Let's just talk for a minute about uh, Poe's own death, which is a fairly mysterious event in American history. Alcoholism is a popular theory for how and why Poe died. This was actually promoted by his hardline Christian friend, a man by the name of Dr. Snodgrass, although Poe had taken a temperance pledge and the attending physician at his death published a whole volume denying that alcoholism was the cause of his death. Um, other people said that uh, Poe suffered from hydrophobia, which is the fear of water, which is a common symptom of rabies, but uh, there's really no uh, solid evidence for, for that whatsoever. Uh, Poe himself uh, provided some evidence uh, for how he may have died to a businessman named Joseph Sartrain, uh, Joseph Sartrain said that Poe had visited him in New York um, in 1849 to ask for help because he felt he was being conspired against. He'd overheard two men on a train plotting to kill him, and he gave them the slip in Bordentown, which is actually uh, my hometown, before returning to Philadelphia. Poe suspected a revenge plot for a woman he was notoriously involved in affairs with. Um, Poe was involved with a lot of married women, and he also made a lot of enemies as a literary critic. So Poe had a lot of enemies. This is support for the theory that Poe didn't die uh, at his own hand as an alcoholic, but had died as a result of somebody conspiring against him. He was also, just another point in favor of the conspiracy against Poe, engaged to a wealthy widow and may have been the victim of a conspiracy on the part of her brothers to force him into a state of intoxication in order to break off the engagement. So in this theory, they would have got him drunk to get him out of the will, but they got him so drunk that they ended up killing him. His literary executive, Griswold, apparently disliked him and also manufactured a number of lies about him. So between Griswold and Snodgrass, we get this vision of Poe as uh, this alcoholic, you know, sinner who is responsible for his own end. But the truth of the matter is actually far more complicated. My favorite theory of Poe's death is that he was abducted by some uh, by members of a political machine who attempted to who got him drunk in order to get him to vote for their party, which was actually pretty common at the time. And that could have even happened in a city like Philadelphia. He was working his way from New York down to Baltimore when he died. And uh, he, he was stopping over in Philadelphia, one of these political party, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, <laughs> toughs, ruffians, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Bouncers? Anyway, one of these guys could have grabbed him off the street corner and forced him to vote for their party, even though he wasn't a legal voter in that city. The voting rolls were sort of so fast and loose that you could get away with things like that. Anyway, that's the death of Poe. Wait, should we, should we go ahead and close this one out? Oh, when will we have the results for the cat contest? Well, I guess we can put them up on our next episode. So this week, Friday, if we can if we can get enough responses where we feel it's, uh, mm. you know, we, we've got a sample size of our audience. Nice. And, and, yeah, so that means everyone on each of the continents that we serve, North America, two, Australia, two. and North America. That's still two, and right? And Australia and North America. <laughs> That's, okay. Also, I think there's some. We have some listeners in the UK, Ooh. so uh, haven't heard from them in a while. Maybe maybe they'll pop up for this. Uh, but yeah, if we can hear from everybody, then we'll go ahead and, and do that posting. Uh, so let's give some some uh, props to our actors today. We had uh, Brandon Walls playing the uh, dissolving patient. We had uh, Jacob Wheatley playing the mesmerist and his trusty sidekick, the the nurse, I suppose, and and poet, the poetic nurse, Lucy Bond. Woo. Right. You, you guys can go ahead and say hello. This is a Halloween special, so oh. we can we can hear from the actors. Boo! Oh, oh. hello! What a, oh, wow! Brandon Actually scared me. Scared. I was a little bit scared. Okay, um, well, uh, okay. Let's let's close this out. Let's just uh, wish everybody a happy Halloween. Can we, can we try to do this all together? Have a happy Halloween! Ha- ha- happy, happy Halloween! Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> so, what are you guys gonna what are you gonna be for? For Halloween. I'm gonna be a sexy Santa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone else? Anyone else got a costume idea for the for the holiday? I really don't, which no, is you, sad. Well, I mean, the thing about theater people is we're mostly in costume, and uh, since this is a cult confessions and this is what we do year round, Halloween is just sort of like every other day for yeah, us. Yeah. Right? <laughs> also, I keep changing my mind like every day. What were you gonna be? She has like she's had like ten different costume ideas. Every day she's like, Savannah, let's do this for Halloween. And I'm like, Shannon, but what happened to the idea yesterday? <laughs> it's like all like video game nerdy stuff. <laughs> but then like one, I was like, ooh, I can be like a banshee. You want to be like a sexy elf and partner up with James, <laughs> or a ooh. not sexy elf? That's sort of the mirror image of sexy Santa. <laughs> Ugly <laughs> elf sexy. and sexy Santa. <laughs> you can both be on shelves. Yeah, who yes. would yeah. You would have Sexy a matching Santa board a that's shelf. a shelf attached to both of your bottoms. Ooh, this is a cool costume. And I have, have to, be to the walk ugly around elf. like that, and your elf Santa's on the shelf. So much shelf-based activity on this podcast today. Jacob, you got a plan Not for enough, Halloween? Not enough, I, I do. think. Yes, I'm actually I'm dressing up as my worst fear, which is uh, commitment. Oh. So I'm just going to write ooh. commitment on my chest and walk around. It's verbal. I, it's a verbal thing. God, yeah, that. every time I look in the mirror, I just pee myself a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> also, that's not like a... James's theory, as I recall from recent episodes, is that that means you're overhydrated. Yes, you oh, drank yeah. too no, much. I just look at myself and I get very scared. Brandon, very scared. any ideas for uh, Halloween? Uh, what I'm going to be for Halloween? Yes. Probably drunk. Okay. Oh. Okay. Uh, we've got the we're infant, good. so I think we're we're gonna be a family of bears. Oh, that's oh. so cute. Oh. Yeah, we're gonna bears. devour some of our neighbors in the night. Oh. 
Okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> nice. That's cute, but that's still such good. a great. That's such a great for me. Yeah. You have to teach them young. You got to teach them how to hunt. Right, you, you either devour your neighbors or they devour you. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll uh, catch you all uh, in our next episode here on Occult Confessions. <laughs>